0: Y'all
1: ready? To be history. Get started.
0: Welcome. Hi. 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 Hello, everyone. To the Pro Audio Suite, thanks to Rode microphones. These guys are professional. The
1: motivated. Introducing Robert Marshall from Source Elements and Someone Audio Post, Chicago. Darren Robo Robert Robertson from Voodoo Radio Imaging, Sydney. Tech to the VO stars. George the Tech Whitem from LA. And me, Andrew Peters, voiceover talent and home studio guy. Line right
2: up, ladies. Here we go.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Pro Audio Suite. This week, we're focusing on a thing that sends chills up my spine, I have to say, the world of audiobooks. And we have the full complement on board, including a couple of special guests from Brisbane, Simon Filer, and from LA, Scott Brick. I assume you're from LA, Scott.
3: I am from LA. Oh, good. I live almost across the street from Universal Studios, so I'm eminently from LA. Oh, well-positioned.
1: Yeah. Well-positioned, indeed. Now, the, the world of um, audiobooks, like I said, it does send a bit of a chill up my spine because I I was asked to do audiobooks and I've always said no. Um, and I think I know why I say no. One is because it's reading a book and recording yourself. Well, that's the first pretty hardcore. step
2: before that is you've got to be able to read, Andrew. <laughs> well, there is that as well, and uh, quite frankly...
3: That's a stepping stone. That's a stepping stone on the way, but I, I totally get it. Well, it's interesting
1: because you, you both come from opposite sides of the glass. Simon records them. That's right. And you mm-hmm. read them, but you also record them as well, I guess.
3: I do. Um, I treasure the moments when I can go to Random House here in Los Angeles, and I can run into 10 other narrators, 10 producers... And we can chat about it, and I can say, oh, my God, this is the best book in the world. Or, oh, my God, this is the worst book in the world. (laughs) You know? Anyway, um, in 2008, I bought the rights to a series, my favorite books of all time. And um, they had never been done on audio. And I thought, well, if I buy the rights, maybe it would be cheaper if I put in my own studio. So, yes,
2: ever since then, I've been recording my own audiobooks. Simone, voice talent who record their own audio books must be your worst enemy.
4: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't work with them directly. (laughs) Well, I have actually voiced the odd audio book as well, but I'm like my worst critic. So I can't imagine how it is for you, Scott, because I'm incredibly picky if I'm voicing it going, I've got to redo that, got to redo that. So I specialise now in author narration (laughs) and they are really good. The majority of them are excellent.
3: You know, yes, I think they get a bad rap. Um, I love listening to authors read their own work, and it's so funny because so many of of, of our colleagues uh, will complain about like, "Oh God, bless it!" You know, the, these authors wanted to record their own stuff. It's like you know, Canadians coming down to America trying to steal our jobs. You know, uh, and I'm <laughs> like, guys, come on, it's their work. Mm. So let them do it, and I honestly, I I treasure listening to authors recording their own work. Um, it's not always the best from a technical perspective, uh, either you know, sound quality wise or performance wise, but it's authentic.
5: What I, what I've heard from more of the pro- producers and and the technical side of it, you know, they get a bid and they say. Okay because because a lot of the times the authors want their book to be put onto tape uh, you know, but they don't necessarily have a publisher paying for it everything so the author is having to do with it themselves and the author goes to an engineer or a you know company that deals with the, the recordings and uh, if the quote is that the author wants to read it, the quote is twice as much as if a talent, Wow! Can rip through it Reed, oh, because is that right? they just know that if they get this talent, the, yeah, if they know that they get this talent, well, we can do x pages in a day. But the author, especially because they're so close to their own project, of course. yeah, it makes yeah. the whole
3: process just explode mm. and like they're. The, well, I can tell you this: one gentleman who writes a science fiction series, he said, "Well, you know." We were told that we would have to—he writes with another author, a co-author, and it was like, well, we're going to have to sign off on an abridgment because the publisher has decided that there would be an abridged and unabridged production. And he knew that a character who was barely mentioned in book one of a trilogy would be the main character in book three, and he wanted to make sure that very minor character in book one wasn't— edited out. And he he, um, he approached the audio division and said, it might be a good idea if I put in more time and care with this. Why don't you let me do the abridgment? And the publisher said, you don't want to do that. And he said, no, I do. I really do. Because it's important. Because This guy from book one is barely mentioned, and in book three, he's going to be the major character. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No, no, no! I really do. I really do. And this is why. And the publisher said, this is what it pays. And the author looked at it and said... (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> which which yeah. begs
4: the first question about working harder or smarter. Yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, Exactly. I actually, when I get the authors in, because the authors approach me, I'm a, like a self-publishing audio business, and I charge the authors <laughs> less to narrate here on their own than what I charge, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the talent. Because I do think it's really important that they get to actually read their own book because the story from the horse's mouth is better than hearing it secondhand and they've put so much time, work and effort into that thing that, you know, if they can string words together, obviously, and they've done a lot of public speaking about it, then they're the best person as far as I'm concerned to read their book. But having said that, I have had the odd person in that I've had to say... Yeah, I can't. This can't happen. <laughs> I would be editing every word have you, together. Have you ever
5: had them? where they are like too? where they too persnickety? Like they hear their own voice, and it's that that immediate reaction when you you know when you hear your own voice on a recording, and you're like, that's not me. Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, I'm like yeah. actually. I don't let them listen to it until the end. Yeah, I basically I gauge you know whether I think it's going to be a good delivery um and whether it's going to be engaging to the listener and you know I will they'll say oh my voice is awful I hate listening to my own voice and and I'm like you know you're don't worry about your voice just think about your story and who you're talking to and who you're engaging with and it'll all sound fine and generally they're okay and afterwards the majority of them have said um, yeah, that sounds really good. So they're pretty happy with it. But should I put a cans on them? They would probably be going, "Oh my god, I can't do this. It's awful." Yeah.
3: <laughs> so yeah. But when I think of the three best audiobooks I've ever heard in my life, from an, an an author read perspective, one was by Orson Scott Card, one was by Harlan Ellison, and one was by um, I believe forgive me, I believe his name was William Peter Blatty, who uh, he wrote The Exorcist, and that was the book that he read. And all three of them, before they became writers, they were actors. And, oh, is that right? And, yeah. And, yeah. And and so they understood nuance. The things that you could do in audio, um, just acting subtleties, they understood it in a way that most other authors probably wouldn't because they just haven't lived that life. Nevertheless, there's an there's an author, uh, one of my favorite authors of all time, Roger Zelazny. He wrote The Chronicles of Amber, and he did an audiobook of, I want to say, Eye of Cat. It's uh, one of the last books he ever wrote, um, but they hired him to read it, and from a technical perspective from 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 my perspective as a performer as a, a voiceover artist it's not a work of art and yet he passed away 25 years ago and I still get to hear his voice mm. I get to yeah. hear his voice reading his work and I think I don't care how you know it's like show however you Chopin. wanted to do describe you know whether it's good or bad I don't give a shit whether you uh, forgive me I don't know whether I'm allowed to cuss on this podcast
2: we're Australians swear all you fucking like (laughs) or not okay fuck it it. Uh, I don't give a shit
3: whether people think it's (laughs) I don't give a shit whether people think it's good or bad I think it is priceless because I get to hear Roger Zelazny reading his own work
5: yeah so, so is it Chopin who died in the very late 18th or 19th century? I think. Um, but, you know, great pianist and composer. And there's a few recordings of him. They're shitty, but there's this company that takes those recordings and analyzes them, mistakes and everything. And they program it back into a Yamaha Disclavier, which is like a computerized oh, acoustic piano oh that will play. And then what you have is Chopin himself in the room wow. really oh cool. my god 100 wow. years that's cool. cool oh my god that's awesome yeah. and they and they analyze
2: like somehow they figure out what pedals and everything were pressed when you know wow. anyways
1: yeah that's amazing
2: so i'm interested to know from both of you let's let's start with simon um besides what i can only imagine must be infinite patience what sort of skills are required on top of like well, let's say a, an audio engineer who does radio imaging or, or advertising and a voiceover artist who does commercial stuff?
4: Uh, well, patience is definitely one of them, Robbo, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you the drill there. Um, but generally speaking, I guess you, maybe not. I mean, really, I guess the difference with a commercial is that you're selling something, whereas with your book, you're you're telling a story, you know what I mean? So mm. it's kind of a little bit different from in that aspect. But recording wise, I don't think it's very, very different at all. No. Yeah.
2: So are you directing talent? Are you directing the talents in the booth or do they just sit in a corner and record and then you edit?
4: No, I engineer them. So I sit out here, they're in the booth and then, but I let the tape roll. There's pl- um, places and people, and probably Scott will agree with me that a lot of people drop at it, but because these people aren't used to recording, they, you know, I don't want to put them off when they're on flow, even if they stuff up. So I'll let the tape roll. Mm. And then the real hard work comes in afterwards where you uh, have to edit the book so yeah. generally is it is a drop edit a punch in yeah punch, yeah, in. punch yeah. in or yeah, or,
5: yeah. or the other the other new name for that is punch and roll yeah that's it <laughs> yeah. yeah that's yeah. a pretty book book industry specific yeah.
3: term yeah i can only imagine what you go through on the other side of the glass i remember years ago going to a book event uh, a print book event um, book expo america and um there was a I won't say their name, but um, they were really proud of the fact that they kind of helped audiobook narrators create their own home studios saying, hey, you should work alone. Mm. And of course, <laughs> unspoken is, that would be cheaper for us because we don't yeah. have to pay anybody else, right? Mm. And um, and I knew one of these guys, he had worked at a previous company, a previous publisher that I, I, I worked for a great deal. And so I had known him for 10 years and he had switched companies and gone to this new company. And he sees me at Book Expo America and says, hey, Scott, come on over. I want to introduce you to these librarians. And he says, so, um, Scott, we've got a couple of librarians here and they're looking to, you know, invest in a couple of books. They're looking to buy a couple of titles. And isn't it, better to be able to work alone. And I looked at him and I thought, well, here in America, we've got this saying, never ask a question that you don't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And I said, yeah. no, not at all. It is not better to work alone. I said, I loathe working alone. I treasure working with other people because I think publishing is a better industry if it's collaborative. And he looked at me like I'd farted in church. He looked at me <laughs> know, like, a, like a, you know, like a slow-witted child. He was furious with me, and and the two librarians said, "Why do you say that?" And I said, "I'm not always right, and it always helps if somebody else can backstop me and and let me know for sure." Mm. And uh, oh my God, I, that man has to this day never spoken to me again
4: well, <laughs> Yeah. because
3: oh, I really? cost him a sale, but it's the truth. It's, it's, um, books are certainly yep. precious to the author. And any time I get hired to read an author's work, it becomes precious to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, the idea that we would have to record it all alone in our own home studios and, you know, fewer eyes on the prize. I, I just, I hate that model, but that's me.
1: I'm curious how much you actually get down on tape per day.
3: I love the fact that you use the word for, uh, that you use the phrase on tape um, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, how long has it been since we've actually, um, <laughs> yeah. there's there's a, there's a studio school. in New York. <laughs> that, Old school. Uh, right, exactly. There is a studio in New York on Ninth Avenue and I'm, Forgive me, uh, I am forgetting the name of it, but um, it's Ninth
5: Avenue Sound. Uh, oh. No, uh, uh,
3: there's a lot of places on Ninth Avenue, uh, but this th- that isn't the one. But um, when I went in there, in their lobby, they had a framed razor blade, and oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and and it has a a, a little uh, bronze plaque below it that said introduced. 1920, um, retired 1997. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. um, essentially when Pro Tools was introduced, and I I love that. I respect so much the people who actually edited audiobooks with a razor blade. Oh my um, god! (laughs) Oh
4: my god, (laughs) right? Yeah, that's a nightmare (laughs)
3: I'm I'm gonna have tonight. I can see, I
4: don't want to dream of that tonight.
1: Um, Have
5: you ever seen someone running it? Like like actually doing the 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 editing on like in action?
1: Oh, yeah, I've seen myself doing it.
5: Yeah,
4: I've done it. Yeah. I've
1: done it for yeah. sure.
4: <laughs> but not audiobooks, that would be such a crazy long time. It takes two hours for me to edit every hour recorded by an author, and I reckon if I was splicing, yeah. I would be there for like five hours, hours. per hour. You,
1: yeah. Do you know what though? When you were splicing, you weren't so picky. No, like you, you, you forget yeah, deep breathing. That that, that ain't yeah, going. In. That's nah. Oh my,
5: yeah. <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> <huge> <laughs> level, and, and replacing Andrew. Replacing it with like, <laughs> yeah. Let's let's get a whole reel of room tone so we can slice in the, the room. exactly. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, you, you just have stuck on the wall the room tone, just cutting bits out.
4: That's the worst horror movie you could imagine. I reckon that right there. The, yeah, totally. The, the worst tape edit I
1: heard of
5: was a window edit on a multi-track tape.
1: Oh, oh, so yes. There, where they cut one of the cha- one of the tracks out like they, a little they slot?
5: Sliced out one of the channels, yeah, yeah, and replaced this that like a window edit. That's insane. Wow! But I, I never saw that in action. But yeah,
1: I think someone just told us they did that on a, a Doors record, on a Doors recording, mm. on a did multi-track. They, That's they had amazing. to replace something, or and they cut like a letterbox slot and replaced yep. it. Exactly. Crazy.
3: Good
4: God.
3: Well, I can tell you that the best audiobook narrator whoever lived, Frank Muller. Um, I got to meet him once. Uh, we were inducted into the Hall of Fame at the same time. Um, we have a, a, a very dear mutual friend whos who has told me that Frank used to tell him that yeah I, I used to be able to get three or four hours of finished audio product. Right uh, in the audiobook industry, it's like, well, is it three hours, three studio hours, or three recorded hours, three finished hours? And and he said, I used to be able to get three or four finished hours done per day. He put it in his own home studio, and he was like, oh, Jesus Christ, I can only get like one, maybe two hours done a day, because he would be, you know, his own worst critic. And and how much of that
5: takes out the life of it, actually? Like how much of that, you know, you think about music recording and sometimes let the flubs be in there, let it have some organic space and it feels more real. And if you get everything like so polished, it kind of takes the life out of the music. Is there any aspect of that, that the authenticity or the, like, I mean, you don't leave out the obvious errors, but, you know, trying to edit and fix everything does it end up making it more sterile is there something to be said for leaving it leaving it alone
3: i have heard stories about people who were recording a song and they made a mistake and they thought you know what this should just go in because it's authentic louis louis and uh yes right exactly yeah exactly
5: drummer literally goes off Fuck, and they're all shit right in the middle of recording this. <laughs> Is right? It's in there yeah. for all time. New
3: way. Yeah. New way. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, and yet, it's become a classic. Totally. And um, we don't have the luxury of editorializing on the copy. Um, and I wouldn't want to, frankly. But nevertheless, I think yeah. that all of us can recognize authenticity when we hear it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so many of you, you're from Australia and you've got the movie about the, you know, the dingo ate my baby. Um, Oh, yes. uh, Meryl Streep did. Okay. She, at least in America, is referred to as like, you know, the best actress of our generation because she puts so much effort into her accents. And yet... I dated an Australian for so many years, who told me it drove her crazy every time she saw that film, you know, and had to hear her say, (laughs) "The dingo ate my baby." Matter of fact, she forbade me from using an Australian accent for for years because of the way that I uh, (laughs) uh, presented it. Um, But the fact of the matter is, you can hear what is real and what is not. That's why I, al- I always say, from my perspective as a voice actor, I can aim for one of two things. I can aim for both, and yet you're rarely able to get both. There are two things that you can aim for. There's accuracy, and then there is authenticity. And I'll define my terms. Accuracy would be a Meryl Streep-level performance where you were absolutely fucking nailing the accent.
5: And it's repeated. Or,
3: yes, right, exactly. Or you can go for authenticity, which is, to, in my mind, it is the emotional authenticity of the scene, which to me is more important because even in Sophie's Choice, which was the performance that where Meryl Streep came to the world stage... It's it's where she she first drew acclaim. She had put in so much effort to be precise. And when I watched Sophie's Choice, I couldn't help it. I didn't want to criticize her. I didn't want to critique her. She's one of the greatest actresses of our of the last 200 years. And yet I was like, wow, you know, three times, boom, she flat out failed in that accent. And you, as Australians, I'm sure, could say the same thing about, you know, Dingo ate my baby. Um, Yeah. When I am doing a book, I want to do a hint of an accent. I want to suggest an accent. I want to aim aim instead of the accuracy of the accent, I want to aim for the emotional authenticity of the accent because i think audiences will be more forgiving that way.
5: I, I think most people don't know the subtleties of an accent. They oh, totally they, as a human they key on the emotional content much faster than they know the differences between a real
3: australian accent
5: and uh, i mighty or whatever that like you know. Well,
3: it's true. Look, the 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 rhotic accent which is applies to both the british the rp accent as well as the australian accent um, when you grow up speaking that accent, it actually changes your palate, your brain. It cha- it changes <laughs> your brain, but it also changes the back of your throat, uh, it, which is why Australians and uh, UK citizens can do American accents far better than we. You know, uh, that we can do the opposite. You know, using a particular accent actually changes the back of your throat. Which is why I always say, (laughs) as I told you, uh, uh, my uh, partner for many years ago uh, forbade me from doing an Australian accent. I'm like, well, okay, maybe I can do a little bit just enough to suggest to the listener that I'm doing it and they can fill in the rest. And yet not aiming for accuracy, because if I did, there we go. Yeah, he failed there. Yeah, he fell there. Oh Jesus! Oh yeah, he fell there and there and there. It's
5: like a stage set. You you you're going for the impression and the and set the stage and put the scene out there and get someone in, involved in the scene. And as long as you get them in the right country, f- feeling that they are not relating to you as one of their own, but they they kind of hear you as being a foreigner and from their perspective, I think you know like job done essentially. And as long as you don't feel yes, like absolutely. You're, tripping through it and trying to force an accent, then that's the, like, like what do they call it? Like the suspension of disbelief. I, I believe that person is yes. Australian. They're not, but, you
3: know. I think people are willing to suspend their disbelief far more if you aim for authenticity rather than accuracy. And look, m- my evidence is all anecdotal, Um but I remember in the early nineties, I was, uh, playing Cyrano on stage. I remember, like it was yesterday, going to the cast party in the lobby. The only time I've ever spoken with this woman, I was still in costume. I still had my nose on because, it, you know, we were using a medical adhesive. It took me like an hour and a half to take it off. Uh, <laughs> but it was worth it. Totally worth it. And um, she said, how old are you? And at the time i think i was 23 24 and i told her so and and she said how have you lived long enough to develop such a flawless french accent and i said i wasn't using a french accent <laughs> she said yes and she said she said yes you were and i said no I'm the one who was doing it. I'm. I'm. I'm really aware of the fact that I wasn't. And she goes, "What are you talking about?" And I said, "Well, on on the very first rehearsal, uh, for this show, there's 30 people in the in the cast, and and we asked who can do a French accent, and if there was one person who couldn't, then we said we would not use French accents because why should they be looked at as the weak link and. Instead, could we find a common ground that we could all embrace? And she said, no, that's not true. I heard a French accent, and I said, I know you did. (laughs) I said the words. I was very precise, you know, and I was trying to explain to her that in that, as I was just being precise, you're able to fill it in. In your, in your mind's ear.
5: It's it's almost like there's a proper accent and it has no nationality. It, it seems to be like there's yes. there's often like a European accent. Like, where is that from? It's not like, you know, there's so many. But um, there, there seems to be sometimes like when speaking English and it's not an American and not a Brit or an Australian, then it's
3: like a European. Exactly. And I think that's what they were trying to go for when they came up with the uh, mid-Atlantic accent, which when you think about mm-hmm. it, it means – Midway between America and England, the um, universal <laughs> language, which is you just, ridiculous, you just sound like an ice cube, the iceberg, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, from right, from yes, exactly. And yet, and yet, you think about guy people, performers like Orson Welles, who was born in Jesus. I'm trying to remember, was it Idaho? Um, you think about people like um, Vincent Price, who was born in Cleveland. And yet, it sounded as though he were British. To an American audience, at least, it sounded as Mm -hmm. though he was British. And the Beatles, when they sing, they sound American.
1: Mm. Yeah,
0: which is always kind of weird. What Mm -hmm. about Dick Van Dyke and, you know... uh, (laughs) Mary Poppins. (laughs) Mary Poppins. That was the best Australian
1: accent (laughs) ever.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I you know I I honestly think that, I honestly think that when you sing there is no accent. I I think one of the tricks is to bring up bring, pull something
5: off that is not authentic and make it sound authentic. You think about even like the announcer voice, and some people can do an announcer voice and it sounds strangely natural. When everyone else is like you know like when they do their announcer voice, it sounds horrible and it's like a, a cliche of what it is. So, so sometimes you're doing something that really is. Not natural, but you sell it and you own it, and that's part of authenticity. Is yes, it might you know, it might not actually be you, but you're internalizing it.
3: Well, uh, and and that's the thing that, frankly, we have found out how often white actors were playing non-white roles, and that's just not right. I think we know, you know, when you hear Hank Azaria, who bless his heart, bless his ever-loving heart, I I treasure that man. Hank Azaria has said he will never play Apu again in The Simpsons because that is an Indian role. It's like, you know, the cultural stereotype of the 7-11 owner and 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 Hank said I don't want to do that in the wake of George Floyd's murder. I don't want to do that anymore. Well, especially because
5: Apu was really playing on the accent and
3: Yeah, very was, much so. It was, it was leaning. It was almost, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was leaning on the accent. It was and purposely yet, stereotypical. Exactly. And yet, I can tell you this. I have done a thousand audiobooks, and I can tell you that authors present cultural stereotypes all the time. And and we have to play everybody. I have to play men, I have to play women. I have to play American men. Can, and can we English hear your, men. Can
5: Your 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 <laughs> woman's voice really quick. Oh
3: god. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, no. No. No
1: you
3: can't. No, it's 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 a it's a thing about pitch. It's like, you know, I am never going to sound like a woman. I, I, I as I, I teach I teach audiobook narration to newcomers, and I say, when you play your opposite gender, make your peace with the fact that you will never sound like the opposite gender. Make your peace with it, because it's just... But there is an unspoken agreement, an unspoken contract with the listener that they know. It is one person reading you every role. And so... I you know I, Yes, I can do a, a scene, a, 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 a multiple scenes. I, I've done it God, countless times. You know, men and women. It's like, you know, why won't you talk to me? I don't want to talk. Y- you never tell me how you feel. I feel like not talking. You, and it's like a softer I'm thing. Not, yes, exactly. I aspirate a little bit. And yet, I'm not going overboard. Um, I have heard narrators who go into like an almost or like halfway falsetto. And I'm like, really? How many women other than Julia Child have you known who speak in a falsetto? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, one one second. Sage! <laughs> not now. Perfect <laughs> <laughs> timing. The, the, the fact of the matter is, it's like we play
2: roles that are not ourselves all the time. i got a question for Simone because, I mean, let's be honest, the engineers are the most important people in the equation anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you, Robert. Amen <laughs> and amen. Yeah, Without us, history. there is no recording. We can
5: make the magic happen. That's right. Exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. I I'm in, as as a audio engineer slash director, um, yeah. I'm interested in recording the same thing over a, f- a few days. Like I, I'm I'm disciplined in. I've got to record a 30 second radio commercial. I know how I want it done. So we sit down and I push the voice talent in in the direction I want to hear it, and I get what I want. How do you, if you if you've got to extend that over three or four days, or I, I don't know how long I, it would take to record a book? How do you keep true to that original recording that you started with at the beginning of the book? Like you know, you get to day two and day three, and things start to shift a bit. Have you really got to concentrate? and make sure
4: that you, you're you sort of referencing back to where you began? Yeah, that's pretty much what I do. So I got – generally, I get the authors in for three-hour sessions because it's a lot of concentrating reading mm. a book. Um, and obviously, they're trying to give the best performance they can, particularly if, you know, they're not a trained actor or whatever. The majority of books that I've released are self-help, um, non-fiction. So there's – you know, it's, it's not fiction. It's not a story as such. But – generally i will run the 3 hour tape end it the next day they'll come in i'll give them a little listen to the um where they were at at the last you know 5 minutes of yesterday's recording and match a level and then start a new tape basically the next okay. day and do that every day for however long they were here
2: and are you like dropping markers <laughs> through the session
4: like, you know, edit here? What I do is I ask them to bring in a hard copy for me if they've got a printed copy. If not, I'll... Read off the PDF, and there's not much editing I can do that because I'm obviously concentrating on levels. Concentrating, they've not missed out any words or slipped over any words, or that there might be. You know, sometimes a plane will fly over, and although it's really soundproofed (laughs) here, and I've had chainsaws and whatever go off across the road, that it doesn't. My microphone's awesome. I use an NT1A, so that's the world's quietest mic. She's a road Um, girl, boys. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my favourites. Yep. Sometimes if a plane goes over, it will really pick up some low frequency so I can hear that. So I'm sort of concentrating on all of that. And um, if I've got the PDF, there's not much I can do because I'm focusing on all of that. But if they bring in a hard copy, I'll read along with the hard copy and mark in that hard copy where their mistakes are. Yeah, and then, you know, if they've made Mm -hmm. fallen over the same line five times or whatever, I'll just put by five so I know that I go up a bit in the tape so I know where that edit is. And then generally, yeah, after I've recorded all of it, I will listen to the whole thing after I've edited it um, once again just to make sure I've got everything out that needs to be out and that everything's in that needs to be in. I guess the good thing about an audiobook is that there's no script changes. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And they generally, the author, I s- you know, speak with them before we begin and say, now you're obviously understanding what you're reading, that you're know you reading from your scripts. So we're basically going to do this all in one take. If you're in the studio and you think when you're narrating, yeah, I didn't like the way that came out, please tell me and we'll just record it again. If there's words that you trip over or words that we both think that you can't pronounce but we'll go on YouTube and find the correct pronunciations. But yeah, we have a conversation to let them know that this is gonna just be one go and and that's the finished product. So if you're not happy with what's coming out, make sure you pull me up and say, let's do that again. So a lot of the stuff you have one take of it. Like like literally if they read
5: the first paragraph perfectly, you're not going back and that's the first right. Paragraph again. Yep. Yep. That paragraph's gone.
4: It's home. Yeah. It's nailed to the wall. Yeah. Yep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that occurs to me sitting here, I mean, we've been sitting here for what, let's say 45 minutes recording this episode. I've shifted in my chair. I've turned around. I've, you know, stopped to bl- moved away from the mic to blow my nose and come back. It, do you have to be a bit careful about making sure sonically it sounds the same all the way through? Or have you sort of figured out a way to sort of keep them close to being on, on mic in the same position?
4: Yeah, pretty much. That's what I sort of focus on, that they stay in the same position, yeah. There will be – there's – yeah, they drink a lot of water in there because a lot of them get a dry mouth, so they'll go run to the toilet and come back and I'll say, now, make sure that you're sitting in the same place. Again, go back, have a quick check of the level, make sure it's the same. But that's why I like to just focus, you know, primarily on three hours a day because generally if they haven't drunk too much water, they can hold their concentration, stay where they are. I either get them to stand up if they, if they prefer because obviously you get the best narration using your di- diaphragm standing. But if they want to sit, I'll let them sit and have you know same space, um, same uh, distance between the mic and also the iPad so that and they're the same facing way to the microphone. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much.
0: How, it works. How about mic technique? How much is that a thing in the audiobook world? Because you're saying consistency is key, which we we know. How much are you encouraging mic technique in terms of uh, warming up the mic, proximity effect?
4: Um, well, from my point of view, I get them to do some breathing exercises on the way, just so that they open up their diaphragm, deep breathing, and you know, probably the acting exercises that Scott probably knows about, where you, you know, blow air through your mouth and get your lips all vibrated up and warm and ready to go um some people sure players do that too the, you know some people it's vi- not so much about warming
0: up the voice but actually I, mean, I should have used my terms more clearly do you encourage people to cozy up to the mic for certain things and back away from the mic for other things or do you really lock it down
4: well like I said before I've mainly worked with nonfiction so that hasn't really sort of been a um a problem as such, but I have done True. I've done one lady who did a crime fiction actually based here in Logan. It's really, really good her story, who killed Chloe. But um yeah, probably with her I did a little bit, you know, I'd get her to come closer to the microphone and move further away when she had different scenarios happening and and different characters. Um, you don't you don't have them on headphones. You, you, you do not have them on headphones. No, they is, don't. Is my
5: understanding, right? Yeah, that's right. Right. So that's a little bit harder to play the mic when you're not hearing it. Yeah. But one of the things I was thinking, actually, for consistency and working with people who are not familiar with microphones, like the last thing you want to use is a shotgun mic because it's very sensitive to the position. But I, was, I would wonder if actually for authentic, you know, you're talking about authentic this and that. And one of the things is like an Omni sounds much more authentic a cardioid that has all that proximity effect, and then if you did have an omni and your booth wasn't bad, you would have probably a very easy time getting a consistent and very neutral sound. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking a George... headset
0: mic, actually. I've been
5: or a headset mic that it just puts the mic there, and you can't you can't mess up mm-hmm. the location. Yeah. The why
0: aren't Why aren't audiobook yeah. narrators using headsets? Wow, that's a great idea. You can put the mic in precisely the same place every single time. Every it's repeatable. Time. The performer can move around more naturally, express. You can pop every P. You can pop. Yeah, every that's there. the
4: biggest <laughs> problem, right? <laughs> hey? The popping. I'm you like, turn your, pop turn your head a little bit. Turn your head a little bit.
0: No, exactly. That, that goes <laughs> away. The
4: microphone stays there on the <laughs> yeah. headset. Like. If you if
0: you if you put that boom that that headset mic boom Just in the right below. spot, yeah. you won't pop the peas ever. You'll never that's have true. to fix a pop mm. ever again. And pirate um, Pete's pizza picnic. It seems damn obvious to me. And, I mean, I've and what is that microphone? That headset mic is probably an omni. Well, yeah. they have them in both. You can get omni and cardioid, but mostly omni. Um, omni Scott, yeah. how about you? For since you're doing a lot of other character and fiction roles and stuff, are, are you playing the mic much, or do you pretty much lock it down?
3: I find myself moving into and out of the mic all the freaking time, constantly yeah. throughout my workday, because. The closer you get, it's the proximity effect. And from an audiobook standpoint, an audiobook listener standpoint, it's a game changer. Um, most of you, I would imagine, think about seeing stage productions when you're you know, maybe 100 feet, 100 yards away from the stage. But then you also have people who are used to watching on TV who are no more than six feet away from the performer, when you're doing an audiobook, it's six inches away. And you can lean in when it is appropriate and when the author has given you that clue, when it's appropriate to lean in and get really, really intimate. There was a, uh, there was a book called The Passage, which was a um a TV series on Fox a couple of seasons ago a couple of years ago um it was a um vampirism that, instead of calling them vampires they called them v- virals and that very first vampire was referred to as zero that's all they said zero this is zero and you didn't know where he was from there was no indication about uh, you know, what his nationality was, what his what ethnicity was, what his socioeconomic background was. And yet he would speak every book in the series. He would summon people. He could speak to them telepathically. And when he would summon someone, he would say, come to me, 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 come to me. He would summon them. They were all in italics. So what I did is I leaned into the microphone to to get back to your question, Uh, to use mic technique. I would get really fucking close to the microphone and I would say, come to me, 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 come to me. Those italics that we can see in the print version is indicating that they're hearing it in their head and come to me sounds as though. Somebody's speaking in your head. Well, we get to the third volume in this trilogy, and suddenly they tell you who Zero is. And I know what his nationality is. And I spoke to the producer, and I said, I don't want to change it. And the series was written in the third person. Zero did this. Zero did that. The hero did this. The hero did that, and yet when you when you learned who Zero is, it suddenly switched to first person, and it was a hundred and sixty pages, and it was essentially like, you know, oh, you want to know who I am? You want to know how I became this way? Very well, I shall tell you. And I thought, shouldn't we do this the exact same way that we've been doing it? Even though the accent was not technically correct from what I had been doing. All I had been doing was mic technique. And I said, are you okay with it if I do the next 160 pages essentially whispering? And she said, totally cool with that. And frankly, every time I am contacted about that series, that's what they talk about.
0: This is the narrator's craft. This is the narrator's Looks art. Ryan. This is your skill in the instrument. Um, this is the difference between someone playing a hundred dollar Yamaha plastic synthesizer with no expression and pounding through a song and an artist out of Steinway playing every note with expression. This is this is this is the difference well, when you hire an artist, you know. Yeah, so my takeaway is the headset mic is a fantastic solution. Or an author Or the uninitiated Or the inexperienced Mm -hmm. But there's a certain point Mm -hmm. where That expression, that mic technique Is part of your artistic expression You know Not quite the Celine Dion crazy technique You know But still, Mm -hmm. it's part of the art Of your performance And you know how to use that instrument So it would never work To strap a headset mic on Scott Brick For him to do his performance So it's fascinating. It's just different tools for different scenarios, and I still think a, a headset mic would be brilliant for an author to read their own book or something else where they can just oh,
3: absolutely try to forget about the mic. It's a different skill set, you know. I grew
2: up as a performer. Most authors don't.
4: That's right. They're the writers. Yeah.
2: Let's let's throw it back to you. I, the other thing I'm interested in is deliverables. How, how do you deliver these things? What format? On a real <laughs> Not a <real>. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny Some poor bastard's got to mates... sit there and digitise the whole thing again. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah, well, you, I give it to the author um, on USB so they've got a hard copy um, and, yeah, I use a platform to upload it to Audible, Amazon, iTunes and pretty much every online retailer for audiobooks globally. So is there a That's standard
2: loudness and all that sort of stuff though that you've got to deliver?
4: Yep, there, there is. Um, so each file's got to be between minus 23 and minus 18. They can't go – have peak levels higher than minus 3 and floor noise basically minus 60. Yep. I guess.
2: yep. So, is, um, so is noise so – sorry, go
4: on. Sorry. No, I was going to say they've, um, you generally um, save them 192-bit, uh, um, higher if you want in MP3, constant bit rate. They've got to be, yeah, forty-four point one kilohertz. So
5: that's so that's so interesting that it's forty-four point one for audiobooks. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because
2: it goes back to CDs. Yeah, yeah. And is noise reduction your friend in that case with the noise floor?
4: Yeah, noise reduction is my friend. I, um, especially in the cleanup, I will reduce the hum and hiss out of. Out of the audio. Have you got a go-to plugin? Um, I use NCH. That's an Aussie program, so yeah. um, or Aussie software rather. It was yeah. started in Canberra by uh, what was it? Peter Lu- Lupton, I think his name was. But yeah, that's got it's that's worked really well for me. So they've got WavePad and MixPad that I use. But I think they do video stuff and other bits and pieces. So I generally record on the WavePad. Um, record. Um, like I said, just straight. Then I will. I don't generally put any special EQ over it. I just put their um, hum and hiss denoiser, and then I go through afterwards. Then and listen, obviously, and take out any other extraneous sounds that I can hear. You know, whether they're breaths or whatever. And yeah, generally silence is my best friend. If I'm having dramas with it, I'll just highlight it and silence it. Yeah. The right. bits in between, if you know what I mean.
2: Yep.
1: That's interesting because I I've got uh, two files of room noise so I just shut the booth door hit record which I've kept and uh, so when I'm doing an edit and I have to take something up but I need to fill the gap I'll just grab a piece of room noise and drop yeah, it right. in. Yeah
4: right you can go either way I guess with it the, the, the place that I use to upload it I've always just used silence so that's worked for me. It's probably quicker yep.
1: <laughs> yeah it's about two less Do you take yeah, <laughs> breaths
4: out or do you leave breaths in? I, t- I, yeah, I try and de breath a whole lot. Really, so- D- God, use- you're brave. Yep. Yeah, it's a pretty big task, yeah. but it sounds beautiful. I mean, you know, working as a producer, you want you want the best audio that you can possibly get. So obviously, you, the more time you put into it, the best, it, the better it's going to come out. You know what I mean?
5: Mm. I I think the breath comes into an authenticity thing. Like for instance, when I record a spot, sometimes and it's not an announcer, uh-huh. I always de breath the announcer, but if it's a character, sometimes the breath, the exhale, that's part of the delivery. That's yeah. part of the emotion.
4: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Ma- yeah, maybe in a in a fiction.
2: Yeah. I, I'm with yeah. you, Simon. Yeah. I think you're right. Yes. Probably. In yeah. fiction,
4: yes. Yeah, definitely yeah. in fiction. I I'd certainly left more breaths and yeah, they're needed for the character references. I think in that one um fiction one I did, rather the non-fictions and particularly I don't know whether it's the author narrating them. It just sounds much cleaner with the breaths out because they don't know how to breathe, you know what I mean? They're not yeah, trained to. I was going
5: to say, it's like turn, turn away from the mic and, and you don't have yeah. to like.
0: <gasps> <gasps> yeah. That's right. You know. <laughs> That's another prime difference, right? Yeah, between the the narrator's art and the inexperienced yeah. uh, mm-hmm. is, is breath control. It's a huge deal. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Uh, Scott's doing it constantly just as part of the performance. It's, you wouldn't dream of deep breathing, you know, a performance from Scott. No, no, I don't I... think, I mean, unless there was something really out of
3: place, but, uh, it's, I... it's a very different well, I've, thing. It's very I, interesting. I've had, I've had people deep breath me all the time. Um, but I, I do my best to even when I'm doing like, you know, the punch and roll, what I typically do is if, okay, if I'm going to shut down recording and I'm going to start again, I put it a fraction of an inch next to the beginning of the sentence that I was going to say. Then I come in and I try to match the intensity. You read along with yourself, right? The pitch. Yeah, right. Yes, exactly. I, I've got like a three second playback in Pro Tools. And when I do that, the next time i make a mistake i shut down recording and i go back to that edit section you know where i punched in the last time and i i edit it out because i think you know sometimes when you say oh, don't do that you know it's it's the oh, it's the inhalation before you say don't do that that is equally as important as the line yeah. don't do that um, and so I do my best to preserve that. But uh, frankly, uh, to be honest, I, I work almost exclusively with, uh, with editors uh, who know my preferences. And every single person who performs their job doing an audiobook book um, is an artist. I, I, I always say I know just enough about audio to be dangerous. But the fact of the matter is, <laughs> uh, the fact of the matter is, I want to hire people who are artists. In, Scott, I can't be the only
0: one listening who's shocked to hear you say the word "hire." That you're hiring <laughs> anybody. Well, so is that just producing. because of the rates, or or, or why is that? No, like, no, like... I'm surprised that you're the producer. Oh God! You're no. based, when you say you're hiring others, you sir are the producer. Mm. Is that is that what's happening here?
3: Yes. Uh, totally. There's a marvelous uh, um, company person that I work with, Stephen J. Cohen. He, uh, Spoken Realms. Uh, he is a narrator, as well as a tech guru, and he has a staff, and he understands both sides of it. I hope it's okay to say this. I I want to say he's like seventy five dollars per finished hour. So when somebody calls me, uh, emails me, and says, "Hey." I want you to do my audiobook. Uh, again, not to get into rates, but like, okay, well, if my rate was, let's say, $400, okay, you're going to pay me $400 to narrate this book. I would say, and that's, of course, $400 per finished hour, um, not studio hour. I would say, okay, well, then you're going to pay me $475 per finished hour because I need to hire. Stephen J. Cohen, to do that work for me.
0: What's it's, interesting is you're being hired in that capacity, not as a, just a narrator. You're being hired as
3: the narrator slash producer.
4: Or engineer, maybe. Right?
3: Yeah.
4: If he's and sending engineer, it to a producer
3: right. after. Exactly. Look, I know how to turn Pro Tools on. I know how to turn Pro Tools off.
5: I, I, I've never been able to turn Pro Tools off because it crashes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't, you don't have to. That's that. It's automatically <laughs> yeah. turns yeah. itself off. Yeah. Well, that was well, uh, look the, uh,
3: the fact <laughs> that I turn I turn Pro Tools on. I set the color scheme to as like bright red as I can because I am looking at a tablet, and yet in my field of vision above the tablet, in my peripheral vision. I can check whether or not Pro Tools is running. That's all I want to do. I don't want to do anything more than that. I want to hire somebody who does the cover artwork. I want to do that and feel as though I am contributing to society. I am helping them pay for their medical insurance. It's a thing. It's
4: about being of service to others, and what you what you're really good at. That's what you should help people, you know, with. And whatever that you're not so good at, you should find other people that are really good at that to allow them amen.
3: to serve. People. Uh, look, uh, I definitely from from my church going days, amen and amen. I can tell you this: what I do is, if you can hear this. I've got a tally clicker. That's how I work now. When I make a mistake, my engineer knows to go back and clean up the clicks. But I can still remain in the emotional state where I was when I was crying at the end of somewhere in time.
4: I'm going to get myself a clicker. What a good idea.
0: (laughs) Dog training clickers work too.
4: Well, uh, yeah. AP,
2: given the length of this record session, we might have to hire someone to edit this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Bags not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Simone, it's over to you.
5: Yeah. Already back's not. And Rabo, I want every breath taken out. Yes.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I talk
3: too fucking much. It's yeah, that,
4: no. highlight and delete. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> do have a, an idea, though. Talking about audiobooks, get a pop card with the print of an ear on it.
4: Mm. Mm.
2: Whispering into someone's ear. you straight into someone's mm. ear. Whispering yeah. sweetening.
4: There you go, Andrew. Is that yeah. Yeah. Don't steal it. Oh, wow. <laughs> <It's> mine. <laughs> what a marvellous. That'll
3: What a marvellous <laughs> <a marvelous> idea. <laughs> yeah. That's a, mar- a marvellous idea. Yeah. Seriously, it is. That's an absolutely marvellous idea.
2: I think before we go, uh, you should both give yourselves a plug. Simon, in Australia, you're the go-to. Uh, yes, thank where do people you. find you?
4: What do you do? I'm at brisbanaudiobookproduction.com. dot com. You can also actually find me. I've just opened up a branch in Melbourne, so MelbourneAudiobookProduction.com, dot com, or you can look up uh, AudioBookAustralia dot com, and you'll find me. You're very multi-talented. You
2: can be in two cities at once.
4: Yeah, well, <laughs> I've got some good guys working in Melbourne, so. Yeah, cool.
2: Who's doing your Melbourne stuff?
4: Um, a chap called – he's not actually in radio. He's just come out of um, doing the course here in Brisbane through the AEE – what's it called? The oh,
1: SEA or something.
4: SEA, that's it, yeah. yeah. So his name's Adam Shaw, but he's done a really good job editing some of my books so far, so we're moving on and opening up something in Melbourne. Lovely.
5: I was going to ask if you ever deal with remote recordings or are they all in booth, like in person?
4: No, I have. I've done one remote recording. The lady was in Tasmania, so she was basically sitting in her walk-in wardrobe and amongst her clothes and she recorded it that way. So then sent me through the audio and I cleaned it up and edited that thing. Wow. So that was a bit tricky. A couple of times I had to say to her, look, you're not sitting in the same situa- same position as what you were. You sound too far away from the mic that you were in the first, you know, three-hour session. Um, but we, we got there. And yeah, wasn't too hard. Although I, you know, it I would not say yeah. Can I do those all the time? <laughs> just quietly. Sure. Yeah. They're pretty tricky because obviously there's a lot to think about for the author that's narrating them more so than just standing in a booth with someone that can say okay, it's all under control. You just have to read. Yep.
5: Yeah. You know, you have to send them a kit or something, or mm. yeah, there's a lot to do.
1: Also, Scott Brick, um, I'm assuming you have multiple agents. That look after you.
3: I do. Multiple agents. There's uh, uh, Abrams Artists who look after me in multiple cities. Yes, LA, Abrams. Yes, I,
1: I know Abrams um, well. I used to yes. visit Neil on the odd occasion. I was yes. in New York.
3: They have treated me so well. I told them, I told them that my uh, one of my goals in life was to work for PBS because I am. I'm a member of the very first generation that ever watched Sesame Street on (laughs) PBS. And um, it was very cool. Uh, It was about six months ago. They said, uh, yeah, we've been pitching you to uh, uh, PBS. And they said they want you to audition for this. And I auditioned. And they said, we love your audition. We're going to cast somebody else. We're going to keep you in mind. And I said, ah, fuck. Uh, Pardon my French. And they said, "Um, that's okay. Um, you didn't book the job, but you booked the room. They really, and and I think that for any voice actor, that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, You may not book the job, but if you book the room, by which I mean make an impression on the people who are casting that job, they will keep you in mind. Yeah, And um, two months later, not only did they cast me for a PBS gig, uh, it was something about Christmas, and I live for Christmas. I'm sitting in a studio uh, where I have three blow molds, uh on, on the shelf above my desk. Um, you know, I have a Santa, and elf, and another Santa. I live for Christmas. And um, the very first gig I ever did for PBS was about Santa Claus. And I was like, you know what? Booking the room is far more important than booking the job.
1: So. Yeah. As I always say to my daughter, your job is to audition. The rest is the mm. cherry on the top.
3: Yep. Yeah. It's Beautiful. true. I mean, look, uh, look. you know, we've, we've got the, uh, everybody Everybody has a demo, right? Yeah. Well, what's the root word of demo? It's demonstrate. demonstration. Yeah. Your job is to demonstrate who you are. These are my skills. This is who I am. Our job in, in in many ways is to just let all of the casting people in the industry get to know who we are and what we would be most appropriate for. And in this case it was Christmas. So, you know. Ho I, uh, ho ho. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> ho ho ho. Ho ho ho. Yes indeed. Well, on that note, um, we have created our very own uh, first edition, which is now available <laughs> on Audible. Um, <laughs> it was right. So, uh, thank you, Simon Filer. And thank you, Scott Brick.
0: Well, that was fun. Is it over?
1: The Pro Audio Suite, recorded using Rode NTG5s and Source Connect, edited by Andrew Peters, and mixed by Voodoo Radio Imaging with text- Forget to subscribe to the show and join in the conversation on our Facebook group. To leave a comment, suggest a topic, or just say g'day. Drop us a note at our website ProAudiosuite.com.
2: Can you I'm gonna get everybody to start rolling then? I'm so glad I recorded this whole thing. I have no (laughs) idea what I'll do with it, but it's it's been highly (laughs) That's funny. I've been thinking about doing a blog about the setup for this. Yeah. You should definitely like, should. Jesus Christ, do I want to do it now?
1: <laughs> okay, are you, am I stu- Am I coming through? I'm
2: still not getting you on Source Connect.
1: Press too many buttons. Sausage fingers. You got to press one button, you press three.
2: <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. Should we get this done?
1: Cool. <coughs>
2: Let's see. shall.
0: All right. Just put the mic a fist width from your mouth, Scott. Eat the mic.
5: Put some ketchup on it, you know, just yeah. put some Vegemite on it, right? Yeah, there you
2: go.
3: Exactly. Vegemite. i yeah. tell you what, I drove past <laughs> the Vegemite plant. Yes. Did
1: you die?
3: <laughs> I do that on the way to Melbourne I, whenever I go in. I don't know that I've ever needed to vomit more. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm an American. I don't get the Vegemite thing. It's an I acquired guess. taste. I, I understand why. Uh, so is beer. So is bourbon. Um, I acquired both of those. I'm sure if I spent more time down under, uh, I, I would as well. But I I drove past and I thought, oh my God, I think I just threw up on my mouth.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, that's the
5: one. The The only thing I haven't figured out is what's worse, Vegemite that, or Marmite?
4: I, th- exactly. I think Aussies like it because we're all sort of force-fed it since... Both,
1: basically. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I, I like it. I, I like yeah. it. I hate the smell of that factory, though. The factory's a Is it? The wet cardboard and poo. Ew, that's kind of Oh, I that shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: My, my I friend
2: described it as what's left at the bottom of a barrel after you're done brewing beer. I remember Mikey yeah. Robbins filling in on the breakfast show at a radio station I was working at once, and he had um, Melissa Etheridge in the studio, and he gave us some Vegemite on toast to taste. And the first words out of her mouth was, yep. oh, it tastes like a cat's bum. The oh, first words out of Mikey's you know? mouth were, how do you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Somebody bring me some water. <laughs> That's right, exactly. That's right. Meow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, are we ready?
2: I am. Yep. I'm ready to rock and roll. It went and wrong. Snap. <laughs> yeah, Five, why not? Two, Just for the hell of it. Three. Da-na-na-na-na. Da-na-na-na-na. <laughs> it's yeah. a dumb tradition, Scott. <laughs> I've yes, never made so a bad
1: commercial ever. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I didn't say I hadn't made a bad audio book, but I've yeah, really heard bad. of you. <laughs>
1: it's like <laughs> you get that get that polishing <laughs> rag out and start <laughs> polishing. Yeah. Right,
4: audio, yeah, guys. I'm going to have to head now.
1: Yeah, I've got to run. Yeah.
2: Guys,
4: if, mm-hmm. um, yeah, me too. <laughs> is there any preference? Is it just like a st- straight wave, just like just a mono wav,
5: down or? Mono wave. I'd convert it to Sound Designer 2 for Rabo.
2: 48 uh, 48. I love
5: your work
1: Yeah, yeah. good on you (laughs) (laughs) You got my details if you uh, Feel like like the agony Of trying to get me to read a book
4: (laughs) You said you hated it Hated the idea Could
1: be perfect for it then
4: (laughs) 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 At least I won't be disappointed (laughs) I always knew that was going to be
2: shit Awesome
3: Well, I was just saying thank you for inviting me. It's uh, lovely to be here.
2: Glad you enjoyed it. Lovely. It was great lovely. to have you on. Thank you for your time. Much appreciated. We just can't afford $400 an hour, just so you know. But we can pay you in Vegemite if that works. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 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 Polished yeah, and glittered. <laughs> Polished <laughs> and glittered. <laughs> <laughs> you can roll in glitter.